Well, we're continuing our series on the Songs of Ascent, and we're in Psalm 130. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible today, that's where we're going to be speaking from. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a buddy who talked me into trying out to be a pool lifeguard. Now, he told me that, first of all, the tests would be easy, that the money would be good, and most importantly, that it was a great way to meet girls. And so I went with him to this test where you had to take a test to see if you could get into the class to become the lifeguard. Now, there was one problem. My buddy was on the swim team, and I wasn't. So to get into the class, to train to be a lifeguard, you had to pass this entry test. And so when we arrived at the pool, the instructor told us to jump in the water and swim down to the deep end. And so once we were down there, he announced that we would have to tread water for 15 minutes. Well, I was feeling pretty good because I thought I could do that. And so we began, he started the timer, and off we went, treading water out in the deep end, minute after minute after minute. Well, as the clock ticked down, one by one, people began to drop out. And so when the 15 minutes was up, there were seven of us left. There was about 12 that started. There was only seven that were left. And so I was feeling pretty good. He called us over to the edge and said, come on up on the pool deck and take a rest. And so I thought, ah, I made it. I'm going to be in this class for sure. Well, after we rested a couple of minutes, the instructor announced that the second part of the test was about to begin. And I thought, wait a minute. I thought I already passed the test. I didn't know there was a second part, and he said, you're going to have to go back in the water, and you're going to have to tread water again, this time for 20 minutes. Well, I was feeling a little tired, but I thought, I think I could do that. I think I can. But then he added something else. He said, but this time, you're going to tread water with your hands tied behind your back. And he walked around and began to hand out these yellow Velcro strips. And he said, I want everybody to help one another tie your hands behind your back. And so once we had our hands tied behind our back, we scooted into the pool and kicked our way out into the deep end. And he started the timer. And off we went. And I was kicking and I was kicking and my buddy yelled over to me and he said, kick like you're riding a bike. And so I, I, that helped a little bit. And so I, I kept kicking and I kept kicking. But I, I, by the way, I should have said I knew something was wrong when before we got into the pool, the instructor said that there's going to be a safe word. And so if we felt that we were in trouble at any point, we should crawl, cry out crocodile. And then he even all, he had us all do it together. He said, crocodile. Everybody say it, crocodile. So we all said crocodile. And then off we went into the pool. And I'm kicking and I'm a kicking. And after, I don't know, three or four minutes, I heard one guy across the pool a ways and I hear him yell out, crocodile. And he kind of swam his way over to the ladder and the instructor helped him up and out of the pool. Well, we kept going and we kept going. And then, I don't know, a minute or two later, there was a, a girl that was kind of close by me and I hear her yell out, crocodile. And the instructor kind of took a moment and he walked all the way around the pool to, on the pool deck where he could be close to her. And he said, can you make it over to the edge? And she said, I think so. And so she kind of floundered her way over to the edge and, and he helped her up and, and out of the water. Well, while that was going on, I... 
I feel my legs kind of start to cramp up. And I think, oh, I can make this. I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm determined not to quit, quit. And so I keep kicking. But pretty soon I got this really bad Charlie horse. And pretty soon one of my legs is not working. And I'm kind of feeling like I'm going to go under. And I yell out, crocodile. And I, I look at the guy, the instructor up on the deck. And he just looks at me. And I'm thinking, hey, aren't you supposed to come and get me or something? And so I yell out again, crocodile. And he waits. And I don't know, it was probably like 30 seconds, but it seemed like 30 minutes. And finally he comes over and throws a, uh, a rope out with a floaty thing on it and, and pulls me over to the edge and helps me up onto the pool deck. And I was in over my head. I was in over my head. We get that way sometimes in life, don't we? We get in over our head. Maybe it's because we, we underestimate the difficulty of a task or we overestimate our own ability. Maybe it's because of a, a poor choice that we've made in life or maybe it's because of a bad choice somebody else made that impacts us. But whatever the cause, sometimes we just feel like we are in over our head. And the writer of Psalm 130 understood this. What are we supposed to do when we get in deep over our heads? Well, the word of God reminds us we are to put our hope in the Lord. And so in this series of the songs of Ascent, you remember these are the worship songs of the ancient Israelites as they made their way towards Jerusalem for the temple feast days. But we've been applying them to our own journey with Jesus as we follow Jesus through this life. And we're going to make some application from Psalm 130 together. But I'd like for you to read with me Psalm 130. The song of ascents, our hope in God. Out of the depths I have cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleadings. If you, Lord, were to keep account of guilty deeds, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and I wait for his word. My soul waits in hope for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Yes, more than the watchman for the morning. Israel, wait for the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his guilty deeds. Psalm 130. Well, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you how you were doing, and you said, oh, I'm fine, when you really didn't mean it. Ever done that? I know I have. Today we might say, I'm fine, but honestly, that might not be the case. Well, the author of Psalm 130 was willing to admit that things were not fine, that he needed a dose of hope in the midst of defeat. And so in a way, he yells out, crocodile. Well, not exactly, but take a look at verses one and two, where he cries out to God, out of the depths I have cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleading." For the ancient Hebrew people, the depths refers to the depths of the sea, the watery chaos of life. The ocean for them was a place of mystery and of great danger. 
In the Psalms, the depths often represents the, the fear and anxiety and uncertainty of the psalm writer. You know, there are times when we cry out to God only because we've reached the bottom. Just when we think that things can't get any worse, they do. Those times come when we've done everything that we know to do to fix it and nothing seems to be working. But you see, that's where real trust begins. Real trust begins when we come to understand that we can't operate on our own, that we are not the masters of our own destiny. And so we cry out to the one who is the master. And so hope begins when we relinquish control. We cry out to God. Well, next I want you to see through the psalmist in the midst of a, of a crisis that he takes a look back. He takes a look back. In verses three and four, he recalls God's forgiveness. If you, Lord, were to keep account of guilty deeds, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you might be revered. Well, at first glance, those two verses kind of seem out of place. I mean, forgiveness is nice, but what does that have to do with suffering? If our sins are already forgiven, how is that going to help us through a time of crisis or disappointment or despair? Well, I want to show you why forgiveness is so important when we are suffering, when we are in a place where we don't know what to do. You see, the worst kind of panic comes when you feel disoriented. It's kind of like being hit by a wave while you're swimming in the ocean and you spin around under the water and for a moment you don't know which way is up. When life hits us hard, when we don't know what to do next, we need to remind ourselves of what we do know for sure. And as God's children, those of us that are followers of Jesus, the greatest thing that we can hang on to in the swirling uncertainty of life is forgiveness. But there is forgiveness with you, Lord, if you know that Christ has carried away your load of guilt, it can give you great hope. Dr. Carl Menninger is a famed psychiatrist, and once he said in one of his books that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, he estimated that about 75% of them could walk out the doors the next day. All they need is to understand the hope that comes through knowing Jesus. And so the next time that you need a good dose of hope, look back to see what God has done for you, to recall God's forgiveness. Look back to the path that Jesus has already walked on your behalf, and you will find hope. And so we, we cry out to God. We recall his forgiveness. And then next, the psalmist begins to wait for God's presence. That's in verses five and six. Waiting for God's presence. I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits, and I wait for his word. My soul waits in hope for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Yes, more than the watchman for the morning. He waits. Notice that. I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And so when a Christian longs for God's presence, they will do two things. First of all, they will trust in his promises. Notice he says in verse 5, in his words do I hope. In his words do I hope. As the psalmist waits, he hopes in the words of God. He trusts in those promises. And then secondly, secondly, he has an expectation that God will work. He says, my soul waits in hope for the Lord. This is a, a picture of a guard on the graveyard shift, working through the night. Imagine having to stay up all night in an ancient city and you're, you're watching to see if the enemy will come in the shadow of the darkness. And you would count the hours, maybe even the minutes, until the sun would begin to break the horizon. And you would wonder, is that sun ever going to come up? But just as sure as the sun will come up, the Lord will answer those that he loves. You know, waiting, waiting's not something that we do very well, is it? We live in an instant culture. One click ordering on Amazon. Next day, even same day delivery. The powerful and the elite bypass the lines and they get the, the best treatment or the best seats in the house while the rest of us look on in envy. We want it and we want it when? Now. We're not very good at waiting. But you see, it is in the waiting, in the wee hours of the morning, that God desires to increase our trust and build our hope in him. And so my prayer is that we would grow comfortable in the waiting process. Waiting for God's presence. We cry out to God. We recall his forgiveness. We wait in hope. And then finally, in verses 7 and 8, we begin to share the blessing. Look at verse 7. Israel, wait for the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his guilty deeds. And so at this point in the psalm, the psalmist is so joyful that he wants others to experience his joy, his hope. But notice, there's nothing, there's no evidence that anything changed in his circumstances. What changed between verse 1 and verse 7? Really, just his attitude. You see, the practice or discipline of giving up our control and recognizing that God alone is worthy of our hope is a process it's a process that takes time. It's a process that, that may or may not immediately change our circumstances. But it is a process that allows us to take a deep breath and realize, I will survive. I have hope. And so it's at this point when we come to that realization that then we can begin to help others 
by sharing that blessing, helping them to come to understand the hope that comes only in God. And so for the psalmist, his cries for personal survival turn outward as he reminds his fellow Israelites of God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And likewise, when we learn the secret of how to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of a hard situation, then we will know how to help someone else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this truth. Listen to his words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. See, God has a process, and his process is to comfort his people so that in turn we comfort others, so that in turn they comfort others. And we come to understand that the hope of God, the comfort of God, the consolation of God, the encouragement of God, it flows through his redeemed people. Well, you know, I never did get into that lifeguard class. I never became a lifeguard. God had other things planned for me, better things, really. And you know, through the years, I have seen so many people saved, pulled up out of the depths, not by the strong arm of a good swimmer, but by the hand of the one who calms the sea. The one who knows the way and the one who invites us to journey with him. So I want to encourage you this week as you cry out to Jesus, as you cry out from the depths, may his presence comfort you. May it keep you and may it bring you great, great hope. Let's pray together.